right. Did you guys enjoy the uh, club atmosphere for a minute there? Yeah. Uh, y'all didn't. Uh, some of y'all got in. Some of you got into it. Some of you didn't. I forgot that uh, white people can't dance very well. And uh, <laughs> hey, uh, we're gonna start every week kind of that same way. Um, letting you guys come in and just uh, hang out, play some music, stuff like that. Let y'all, um, we're not going to call it dancing because this is a Baptist church and everything. So, uh, but i uh, let you guys just kind of move your feet and uh, get ready for worship. Because the thing about it is, is yeah, this is, this is a youth worship service, um, but that doesn't mean that it has to be boring. And, uh, and so I want you guys to be able to come in here and have a great time and uh, worship God. Worship Him by saying, thank you, Lord, that I have legs that I can move around. Thank you, Lord, that I have feet that I can move around. Saying, thank you, Lord, thank you for the ears that you gave me to hear this music and uh, for the ability to be able to somewhat move to it. So uh, I don't uh, have a problem with having fun uh, as long as it's good, clean fun. All right, last week we were in the book of Colossians, and we were there in chapter 5, and we're going to be there again tonight. So if you got your Bibles... Go ahead, go to Colossians 5. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And that's where we'll be at tonight. History records that he was a great man, yet he had humble beginnings. He grew up in a small village, an ordinary boy who did nothing to draw attention to himself. Like most boys his age, he attended school. He also worked in the family business, and he did his best to grow up strong and healthy. Deep inside, however... He knew he had a special purpose, a destiny to fulfill. As he grew older, people began to notice that there was something special about this young man. He had talent and charisma. He was gifted like no other. It wasn't long before he started attracting crowds. Thousands came to see and to listen to him. He chose a small band of loyal uh, companions who traveled with him everywhere he went. Many of them had given up their jobs to be with uh, this guy and take care of his needs. As his fame spread, some grew jealous of him. Others thought he was leading people astray, and they plotted against him. But his popularity only increased. He touched the lives of young and old alike and brought joy and laughter to the weak and downhearted. Many held him as a king. Toward the end of his short life, he suffered quite a bit. Some who had followed him fell away, and they started following others. He died alone. Those closest to him were left discouraged and confused. They never expected his life to end that way. Soon after his death, there were many rumors that he didn't really die. His followers spread news all around. He lives, they said. He's not dead. Some claimed they actually even saw him. And even today, many people believe he is still alive. By now, you've probably figured out 
that this great man is Elvis Presley. Go ahead and switch the slide, Emily. You know, if you word things, if you word things generally enough, you can find a lot of similarities between Elvis and Jesus. But see, that's where the similarities end because Elvis, he came to sing, and Jesus, he came to save. We live in a world that has distorted exactly who Jesus is. They have distorted his reasons for coming into the world. They have distorted what he did while he was here. And they distort what he is doing now. You know, during Paul's time, this is the book of Colossians, and he wrote it to a city called Colossae. And during that time, there were those who were trying to mess up people's thoughts about Jesus as well. There are a ton of people in this world today that are trying their best to mess up how you view Jesus Christ. It is important for you to know that there, are many, there were many false teachings taking place in this city of Colossae as there are now. These false teachings had to do with minimizing who Jesus was. Many people thought he was important but not significant. They had given him a place in their lives, but without recognizing that he demands first place in your life. Jesus was major to them, but he was not the greatest. And that's how it was in Paul's day in the city of Colossae. That's how it is now in the city of Barnwell. To a lot of you, Jesus is important, but he's not the greatest. To a lot of you, he has no significance whatsoever. To a lot of you, he is not anywhere near first place in your life. And the reality is, it's because Jesus has been so distorted. He's been watered down. People don't even know what to believe about Jesus anymore. Too many people have this image of this guy sitting in the sky with a white beard, just waiting to hand you stuff, or just kind of controlling you with little puppet strings. This guy in the sky waiting to take your fun card away. This guy in the sky that's doing nothing but looking to hurt you. To take uh, everything away from you. But the reality is, those are all a bunch of lies. And tonight we're going to continue to look at who is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Colossians 5, 15 through 20. Paul, in his letter to the Colossae, to the city of Colossae, he writes these words, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, says this. What did I say? Chapter 1. I don't know why I keep saying chapter 5, y'all. I'm sorry. I've been saying it the whole time, haven't I? Chapter 1, verse 15, y'all. I'm sorry. The fog's getting to my head. Chapter 1, uh, chapter one verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may, have the, uh, he may be first place. For it is pleased for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself." whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16 and asking this question, who is Jesus? And so the first thing that I want you to see tonight is that Jesus is a picture of God. Jesus is a picture of God. We talked a little about this last week, but I wanted to go a little bit more into it this week. Jesus is a picture of God. Verse 15, the first part says, He is the image of the invisible God. According to the dictionary, the word image, and by the way, you've got little blanks. I put little sheets out. Those aren't for you to write notes to your boyfriend or girlfriend and, you know, check yes, no, or maybe and jump like that. Take notes with those, all right? That'll help you follow along. According to the dictionary, the word image means a physical likeness or representation. So when Paul writes here that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, basically what he is saying is that if God were to hold up a mirror to himself, the image that he would see would be that of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? If God were to take a mirror and hold it up to himself, the image that he would see would be Jesus. There is no distortion, nothing hidden. Jesus is God in the flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus himself puts it this way. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's John 14.9. And John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is the fa- who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus is the image of God. I've been in the ministry now going on four and a half, five years, something like that. And I cannot tell you how many times since I've been in the ministry that I've heard people say, how can I believe in something that I cannot see? You see, in their minds, this question, it makes a lot of sense. I can't see him, so I can't, I'm not going to believe in it. It makes no sense to me unless I can believe in it. So, but in reality, that question, it makes no sense at all. Because all you have to do is pick up a Bible, read about Jesus, and you will see God. You start studying about Jesus and his life and the things that he did and the things that he talked about and the things that he encouraged us to do. Those things aren't coming just from a regular man. Those things are coming from Jesus himself. Jesus is God. If you look at his life, you will see God's personality, God's characteristics, You will find out how much God loves all of us and desires for us to love him back. Through his life, Jesus constantly demonstrated God's grace and mercy and love for all of us. Yet there are those who still want to deny that Jesus was God. There's still those that want to lie about it. So as we continue tonight to look at the scriptures, what I hope that you find as we ask these questions and we asked, answered one of them. Jesus is a picture of God. But I hope that, that as we go on, you understand that Jesus is the king of the universe. The second point that I want to make tonight is this. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was a perfect man. Okay? They believe that he was a perfect man. And they also teach, but they teach that before his earthly life, that Jesus was actually a spirit creature, that he was an angel, okay? And as a matter of fact, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was Michael, the archangel. And, and they say that Michael, the archangel, who in their view is Jesus, was created by God. And that when he came to the earth, that when he was baptized is when he became the Messiah. 
All right? So according to a Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is a mighty person. But he's not as mighty as God because he's created. The one that is created cannot be as great as the, what created it. Right? The art, the art that an artist would paint, it's not as smart as the artist. It's not as great as the artist. It doesn't mean as much as the artist. We look at the painting and we say, man, that's a beautiful portrait. And we say, you've got great talent. We honor the artist, not the art. So it is impossible to say that Jesus is God. I'm sorry, it is possible to say that Jesus is not God. Okay? While still and still and call him a great man. Because Jesus is God. If that makes any sense. Jesus, to a Jehovah's Witness, they teach that Jesus was and is and always will be beneath God the Father. They teach that Jesus and God are not equal. They're teaching that Jesus was created by God. It it demolishes any hint that Jesus could have been God in the flesh. They deny that that Jesus had any power at all. They lower him. They lower him to the standard of me and you. And if Jesus is no better than me or you, and we are dead in our sin, and we're just as rotten to the core as we are, then why in the world would we want to follow somebody like Jesus? We wouldn't. And that's why Jesus cannot be created by God, because he is God. And we worship him. Their thinking and anyone else's thinking that Jesus was a mortal man is very much wrong. They point back to this verse in Colossians. It says, the firstborn over all creation. And they say that they use it literally. The Jehovah's Witnesses would tell you that because he was born, he was created. But they're very much wrong. In referring to Jesus as the firstborn, it is a description of him as the supreme king over all the earth. It is an honorable distinction. Firstborn does not refer to time but to place and status. Firstborn simply means of first importance. Let me put it to you like this. I am the younger of two kids, okay? I have an older brother. That's why I should say it. I have an older brother. He's six years older than me. And when we were growing up, he used to beat me up all the time, and it wasn't fun. But uh, he also also used to... uh, Get everything first. Got the first car, you know, 16 years old. I was 10. I was like, why is he getting a car? I want a car. My dad was like, well, here's your little hot rod, the little car thing. He got a cell phone before I did. He was making money before me. He got all the new clothes. I got all the hand-me-downs. He got everything. And it made me so mad. But see, that's the privilege, that's the right of the one that's oldest. They get to get things first. See, what else my brother got was he got a harder time than I did. My parents were a little bit easier on me. But he he got everything else first. I remember, y'all don't remember this, but when cell phones first came out, they were real popular, right? You had the little bag phone, all right? And you'd walk around with your little bag, and you wouldn't be able to... You would put it in your pocket. All right, you walk around in your little bag and ring and be like, yeah, what's up, dude? All right, you could also get one in your car. And my brother had one installed in his car. 
All right? And then he got the cool phone, the little flip phone, the big old thick gray, ugly-looking flip phone. Those came out. He got him one of those. You know what my parents gave me? They gave me the phone that was about this long, and if you put the antenna with it, it went out about this high. And I was like, how am I supposed to put this thing in my pocket? Anyway, back in my day, we wore baggy britches. Well, y'all still do. Uh, some people in my day, they wore baggy britches. And if I tried to do that, they'd end up down around my ankles. And I was like, man, I can't carry this phone in my pocket. The point is, is that being older, he got certain things that I didn't get. So in the Hebrew tradition, when they were reading this, and they talked about Jesus being the firstborn, it gave Jesus certain rights being the oldest, being the one over creation. It gave him certain rights. He's the firstborn of creation. It's an honorable distinction. It demonstrated power and control and superiority. And believe me, my brother many times demonstrated his superiority over me. A couple of times holding me down in my fist, making his, I mean, his fist making my face look better. He demonstrated the superiority. Y'all are a tough crowd tonight. There are four things that I want you to see about this superiority. This word denotes, uh, there are four things that a Hebrew would have believed about this firstborn thing. The word denotes to them that special privileges and advantages belong to the firstborn son among the Jews. He became the priest of the family. The firstborn son would be allotted, uh, allotted him double portion of the paternal inheritance. So like if your, your dad passed away and then your mom passed away and it was you and your brother or you and your sister left, you would get both what mom and dad left. Little brother, little sister, they wouldn't get anything. All right? That's because you're the firstborn. Firstborn inherited the illegal authority of his father. He got to become the man of the house. He took care of mom. He would go to work. He did the discipline. He did it all. But the Jews attached a special importance to this word as well. Was it related to the Messiah? It was a high significance distinction. So by calling Jesus the firstborn, Paul is telling us that Jesus has the rights of the firstborn son. It signifies Jesus' control over all things. What makes this, what this means is that because Jesus reigns supreme over everything, he owns all of creation, then he himself is greater than creation. So the third thing that I want you to see is verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, third point, is the creator of the universe. The word for, the word for at the beginning of this, where it says in verse 16, for by him, it could also be the word because. So this verse could really read that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation because by him all things were created. Everything you see in nature was created by Jesus. Everything was created by him. The fish, the stars, trees, everything both visible and invisible. Go ahead, Emily. We learn from the astronomers that the Milky Way 
The dish-shaped galaxy to which our sun belongs is a family of more than 100 billion stars. And these scientists say that there may be as many as 100 billion other galaxies in the universe. And they believe that billions of these galaxies, billion stars, may have hundreds of millions of planets like our Earth. God's creation from Jesus' spoken word. Right there. Jesus created it all. The question you may be asking is this. It doesn't say in Genesis that Jesus created anything. It says in the beginning God created. And that's a good question. If you look back in John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the Greek language The term word, when it is capitalized, it actually means logos. And it means this definition of it is that the godly wisdom visible in creation, government and salvation of the world are often identified with this term. It also defines the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. So therefore, when John refers to the word being there in the beginning, he is telling us that Jesus himself was God When you read Genesis, you find that the word says, and God said, but I believe that it actually could read, Jesus said. I picture him speaking and creating this beautiful masterpiece that we call earth. He, he's just, I I just picture him throwing out these words and, and just, I told the, the, some of the guys, some of the kids Sunday night, students Sunday night, that I I just imagine Jesus just kind of speaking stuff and and being like okay there's some trees that need to be over there and so these trees would grow and like he would be like uh we need some dirt over there so so he would just talk and the dirt would come up i mean he's just he's just painting this beautiful portrait of the heavens this beautiful portrait of the universe john 1 3 says that through all him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made go ahead emily the sun is so large that if it were hollow, it could contain more than one million worlds the size of our earth. There are stars in space so large that they could easily hold 500 million suns the size of ours. There are about 100 billion stars in the average galaxy. And there are at least 100 million galaxies in the known universe. And God is greater than all of that. Jesus is greater than all of that. Because he created it. Through spoken word, Jesus Christ, the image of God, the firstborn over all creation, created all of that and more. But some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, that sounds great, but what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? Man, I've got problems at school. I got problems at home. I get home sometimes. I don't know if I have food. I don't even know if my mom and dad care about me. I don't know if they love me. This whole Jesus being God thing, that's all well and good. And I appreciate the knowledge. But it means absolutely nothing to me. Well, here's what I want you to think about. The same Jesus that created that, that for you guys, The same Jesus that created the sun. The same Jesus that created the galaxies. The Milky Way. The same Jesus that created the earth. That created the heavens. The same Jesus that went to a cross and died. 
the same Jesus that rose from the dead, guess what? He also created you. He created all this vastness. He created everything that you see. And he still created you. He took time with you. He took his time with you. He took so much time that he knows how many hairs are on top of your head. The Bible says that he knew you. He knew you before you were even born. He knew you before you were even thought of on this earth. He took time to create you. He took time to create something special for you to do. He took time to give you a distinct personality, a personality that isn't like anybody else's. He took time to give you distinct facial features, facial features that are unlike anybody else's. And everything that God created is absolutely beautiful. And so are you. Because he created you. That's what it's all about. Is understanding that Jesus loves this world that he created. He loves his birds. He loves his fish. He loves all the animals. He loves it all. But he loves you more. Because he placed within you something he did not place within them. And that is a soul. A soul that could live forever. A soul that could live for an eternity. You have that. He loves you enough that he wants you around. He created you to keep you around. He created you so he could love you and you could love him. So what does this mean to you? It means that no, how, no matter how bad life may seem, no matter how bad things ever may be or how, you, how much you feel like people don't like you or how much you don't like yourself, it means that God the creator of the universe created you. And that means something. That means something. And that should mean something to you. That should mean something to you. So who is Jesus? For some of us, he's our Lord and Savior. For some of us, he is peace when things are tough. For some of us, he is our great encourager, because we know that he created us. He created us with something great to do. So for some, Jesus is our motivator. He is what gives us a purpose. He is our Savior. And he can be that for some of you. The band's going to come now. They're going to play one more song. I really want you guys to think about who Jesus is to you. Is he just some phony, can't-see figure in the sky that is there when you really need him and then when you don't, he's non-existent? 